the kids can leave now uh, for kids ministry uh, to learn about Jesus on their level. And uh, as they leave, I'm just going to invite up uh, Jerry again. Uh, Jerry's going to preach God's word to us. And uh, so as the kids leave, uh, I'm just going to pray for him. And then we're going to get stuck into God's word. Father, we just thank you now for the opportunity to come under your living, breathing word. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to see Jesus uh, in your word, to treasure him, to trust him. We pray for Jerry, that you would speak powerfully through him, and that in this moment our lives would be changed um, increasingly um, to honor and glorify you in everyday life. Uh, in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, friends. Morning. That's not going to do. Good morning, friends. Good morning. There it is. Uh, I want you um, to hear from me uh, just uh, how much I respect and uh, value and love your pastor. Um, pastor Lee is um, from the first time that I met him, actually, and uh, I think uh, over a Zoom call, as a matter of fact. Uh, he was part of the, uh, the training, um, of the training center for the Great Commission Collective, of which I have the benefit of uh, being on the leadership team of and uh, of whom I am uh, privileged to come and represent uh, in your presence as well. Um, from the first moment that I met him, uh, his seriousness for the gospel, his seriousness for the call upon which the Lord has placed in his life, uh, his desire to be with you and among you, uh, to do the work of Jesus with you, uh, was so incredibly evident uh, in him, and I have a deep, deep, deep respect for the path uh, that you've taken. You don't have to apologize for a thing. Is it just catching? Am I the problem? No, you're not the problem. Yeah, sorry about that. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Oh, no. I got a microphone. I can use this to my advantage somehow, I think. <laughs> it's fantastic. The path that you've taken, uh, Lee, is just tremendous. And knowing that you were uh, in vocational work and the Lord has called you uh, to the work that you're doing now is, uh, is, is, is incredible. Um, Dan, thank you for your ministry this morning uh, and leading us in worship. And Luke, uh, you as well. Uh, to, uh, to know uh, your, the legacy and the heritage that you're carrying with you uh, to do the work of Jesus across the, across the globe is, uh, is tremendous. So I love you, and I'm just so incredibly glad to be here. Can I pray for us this morning again? And then we'll go into God's word. Father, your grace, we need it. Father, your grace um, is just so present among us, it's evident. And uh, Lord, I just want to pray uh, with all of my heart uh, that your Holy Spirit would um, work through me, uh, would work despite of me, uh, Lord, that your truth, that your Holy Spirit uh, would make it uh, land upon our hearts in a way that would saturate, in a way that would transform, uh, in a way, uh, Lord, that would just, uh, that just would cause us to leave this place differently than when, we, than when we arrived. Do it, God. Establish these people, build them up, strengthen them in their faith, Lord, use them mightily. Father, evidence that your gospel is going forward is that your church is established. And as your church is established, so too is it evidence that your gospel moves. And so, God, this is what we're asking for today. That as these people, as this church, as this family, as this network is strengthened under your glory and under your grace, God, that you would do a thing that is beyond our comprehension. So do it now, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, this message is part of a series called Forge that I'm preaching uh, at Mission Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I shared it with Lee and he thought it would be a good place uh, to begin with you. In 1925, in the wake of World War I, modernist writer T.S. Eliot wrote a now famous poem filled with dim reflections on the meaningless and despairing state of humanity. The poem is titled, after its opening line, Hollow Men. Maybe you've heard it. 
He writes, we are hollow men. We are stuffed men. We are leaning together. Headpieces filled with straw, alas, he writes. Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet. They're meaningless. We all are as wind in dry grass. Have you ever looked over a large, a bustling mass of humanity? Have you ever been amongst a sea of people and just kind of observed? I'm from a small town. Um, just a small town in western Pennsylvania. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, my mobile home, I sat on the side of a wooded lot uh, in the middle of nowhere. And so I remember the first time I went to a big city. I remember the first time that I was kind of hovering amongst a large mass of people. I remember my graduate school training in Chicago, uh, Illinois, and looking out from, from the high-rise in which my room was and seeing all of these people bustling about. Anyone like to people watch here? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone find it as a pastime? <laughs> Come on. There is something. There is there's something to be said about just watching people move. The crowds are all around. You find them everywhere you go. You find them at the mall, splurging, at the gym, bulking. Anyone? Anyone? Any bulkers here in the gym? No? Just me? Great. Awesome. <laughs> The amusement parks, at least in the States, you find them at the amusement parks, they're indulging, you find them at the airport bustling around, acting like they have a bunch of purpose in which they need to fulfill. Listen, wherever you go, the crowds are there to be found, and alas, we are them. At the end of the day, we are them. At the end of the day, we are just, a, if Elliot is right, a wind, a dry grass tossed to and fro as they are. Have you ever looked at the people and wondered who they are? Have you ever sat as I did on a bench and begin to craft their story? I've made it up completely. This guy does this, he must be going there. He's probably somebody famous and I don't know him. <laughs> wonder where they're going. What do they do? What are they, what are they trying to accomplish? What is their purpose? As Elliot is right and what he proposes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're teeming about. It doesn't matter what they're trying to accomplish. It doesn't matter who they think they are. None of it matters. They don't matter. If Elliot is right, you don't matter. They, we, we're just hollow men. We're just hollow women. Stuffed people slogging through life. Do you ever feel that way? It does beg the question, have you ever felt hollow? Have you ever looked deep inside and failed to find true substance? Uh, if this isn't the work of ministry, meeting people where they are, looking inside, wondering. Have you ever gone about life feeling like you're just another number? Leaning into the crowd, as Eliot says. In a sense, in a sense, in a sense, we can all relate. Who hasn't felt like a dry voice? Who hasn't yelled into the wind and had it fall as a dry whisper to the ground? Whispers, quiet, meaningless, as Elliot says. And let me say this. This is the part where I'm supposed to make the turn and make you feel better about all of this. And in a sense, this is what I want you to hear. In a sense, Elliot could not be more right. We are, alas, as dry grass. We are, alas... In and of ourselves, 
here today, gone tomorrow. In and of ourselves, we, alas, are teeming amongst the people, aimlessly, purposely going about. But to his implication that our hollowness serves no purpose, he couldn't be more wrong. You see, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel compels us to think otherwise. Oh, make no mistake. I am hollow in and of myself. Make no mistake, we are stuffed, men and women. Make no mistake, we are incredibly needy. You need a verse for that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. For all flesh is like grass. Hello, Elliot. All flesh is like grass. And its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But what? But what? The word of the Lord and his spirit shall endure forever. Listen, this emptiness that we find inside of us, this void that indeed absolutely is there, this space, this space that longs to be filled inside of each and every one of us is a space reserved for the spirit of God. We are teeming, we are hollow, we are needy, we are stuffed. Indeed, there is a void. This void there has been created by God, and only he can fill the void. If there is a stuffedness about us, and there is, if, the, if we are indeed filled with straw, it is to be set ablaze by the radiant glory of God emanating within us. Here's the point of the morning. Um, you're being forged. Even as those embers flow uh, up from the screen, so too we are being forged to the glory of God. You're being forged to the glory of God. This is the big idea. You're being forged to the glory of God. To be forged is the process of heating and hammering steel into shape. Do we have this bumper? Perhaps it could set the context and just give us a feel for this idea of being forged. Even though you must endure many trials, there's hope. Trials are hard, but they show you that your faith is real. Your faith is being forged as fire tests and purifies gold. Your faith, more precious than gold, is being forged through these trials so that at the coming of Jesus Christ, greater praise, glory, and honor will be given to him. There is hope in trials. For in every trial, your faith is being forged. And so the idea is this, forged. You're being forged. God is doing the forging as a blacksmith heats, hammers, and shapes a raw hunk of steel. So is God forging you. He is hammering. He is purposefully, providentially molding and shaping powerfully you and I into a form, into an image, into a likeness that he desires to use for his glory and for his purposes. And so as we come to the book of 1 Peter, we're going to come to the orienting passage of the entire book. If we get this passage was selected this morning, because if you understand this passage, you now have your full bearings and your full orientation of a study of 1 Peter. If you understand what Peter is about to deliver to us today in this particular passage, you now understand the context of the letter and everything falls into place expositionally from here. And here you have Peter, a man who's been forged. The apostle Peter. Can you think of some evidences in Peter's life where Peter's been forged? 
Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times, forged. Lord God, all of these men will deny you, but I, I swear before you, I will never forged. At the arrest of Jesus, he picks up the sword and he cuts off the soldier's ear. And Jesus is like, Peter, dude, yo, I got this. Sorry, dude, ear, forged. Do you know that Peter followed Jesus to the trial? Do you know that he sat around a fire and was in earshot of Jesus' trial? I won't deny you, and even if I have to die with you, he said, with you I will, as he sat listening to Jesus be condemned. He, he had his own measure of forging. He failed Jesus. You see, in our triumph and in our failure, Jesus is forging. You have a man who knows what it feels like to preach the gospel and suffer for it. You're, you're going to hear from a man and from his pen, a man who planted churches and know what it's like to call a small group of people together and speak with them. A man who has lived with the churches. A man who, by God's grace, Jesus literally handed the keys and said, unto you, upon this rock, you will build my church as you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through this foraging process, you find Peter, at the end of his life, having been strengthened, emboldened, and forged, so that he will be able to endure his ultimate fate, which, by the way, is going to be him hanging upside down on a cross, crucified. Like a Savior. Forged. Peter's been forged. And he's writing to the churches of Asia Minor. He's writing, a, he's writing a letter to those churches that is meant to be passed amongst the churches. I want you to stop and think about this. This letter was written to churches who gathered in small clusters, not unlike you. And this letter was to be passed around. This letter was written for you. This letter was written to the Striving. This letter was written to the churches that were just planted, just trying to get themselves established. This letter was written by the capital A, Apostle Peter, to groups of people just like you. I want you to put yourself in the place of, of realizing the Apostle Peter, some 2,000 years ago, wrote a letter that was meant to be passed around to churches like you, who would have found themselves in a similar, similar place like you. I don't know that they were tearing down and hauling trailers about, and putting up the chairs and tearing down the chairs, it's more likely they were even smaller meeting in homes. You may have been regarded as a megachurch in Peter's day. Oh, context matters, doesn't it? And he writes and says, I know, I know you're enduring. I know you're striving. I know pressure's about you. I know you're not popular amongst the community. I know you're feeling the pressure. I know you're regarded as rather odd. I know there's other religious works about you and they're trying to figure out what the world you're doing and why you're even needed here. Um, Peter knows all about it. Imagine, imagine trying to lay a foundation that's never been laid before. Ever. How privileged are we to live in this generation? And so he comes and he says, listen, you're being forged, you're being forged. Look at the context. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. He says in verse 2, 
Well, let's just start at verse 1. Why not? Peter, an apostle, that's who has written. We've already talked about him. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius Pilate, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God. How beautiful is this? He is writing to almost kind of an international a region, but even so, far off from him. And he says to them, according to the foreknowledge of God, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, whom we share together in the sanctification of the Spirit, he is at work among you for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood. That is a really, really incredible way to say hello. Could you imagine if we all greeted each other that way? That is phenomenal. I think you have to be a capitally apostle to get away with saying hello like that, but that is tremendous. And so he says hello in the most theologically profound way possible, reminding them why they exist and why he's writing to the glory of God. That's why we're here. Now listen, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Hi. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, verse 7, so that to test the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him all the more and you rejoice with great joy that is inexpressible and is filled with incredible glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter goes on to say this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace of God was to be yours. They searched and they inquired carefully themselves, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but to you in the things that they have written and that are now being announced to you through those who preach the good news to you week after week after week. Those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so whom is he writing? The elect exiles. He's writing to the elect exiles. The elect the elect are the chosen children of God. And so what Peter's saying, first and foremost, make sure you know who you are. You're being forged, but know this. You've been chosen. You've been chosen for it to happen. You're privileged to be forged by God. You're privileged to be in this context. We're, we are privileged to bear his image and suffer in the same way in which he suffered. You are elect, but then it says exiles. Uh, any of y'all do any Old Testament Bible studies? Anyone, anyone ever kind of look into the Old Testament? Uh, yeah, right. So when you come over, yeah, she's like, she's like do, do not call on me. I won't call on you, I promise. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. If you're going to participate, you can't go calling on people. That'll cease the participation, all right? So uh, exile is not like, it's like, when you see the word exile, you're, like, you're not running that direction, right? The word to be chosen by God is phenomenal. But to be a, a chosen exile, chosen to be an exile, chosen to suffer, chosen to bear the weight, chosen to what, what chosen what? I like the chosen child part better. 
But to hear from Peter, who has been forged himself to say, you've been forged, you've been chosen to be forged just like me. You've been, you've been chosen to be forged just like my son. And here's the deal. The way you go about bearing the forging is going to be an incredible adorning witness to a watching world. It's not going to make sense. So come on, elect exile. Come on, those of you who are chosen to suffer. Come on, those of you who are chosen to bear the weight. I've got a word for you, and it is this. Your foraging is to the glory of God. And I love, I love, I love, look at the context. Look at how Peter comes out of the gate in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you're being forged. Yes, I know it's hard. Yes, I know it's weighty. Yes, I know it's challenging. Yes, I know church planting is demanding. Yes, I know the culture is bearing down. But listen, look up. Look up. He, he literally calls the church to get their eyes off the problems and get their eyes on the solution. Get your eyes off the challenge, and get your eyes on Christ, the one for whom we are blessed and privileged to bear the challenge. Get your eyes up, get your eyes up, get your eyes up. You elect exiles, listen, listen, you're enduring various trials. I know this, but come on, look up. The lower you feel, the higher you gotta look. Let's just do it, just look up, look up, look up, see, see. Um, it like, takes work to do this. And this is the problem, right? I'm going to, oh, there it is. I knew it was coming eventually, right? But if our heads are in the clouds all the time, what's the deal? You know how much easier it is to do this? It is so much easier to look down. It is so much easier to watch my feet. Because in my mind, I have nothing to, I, I have nothing to trip over if I'm, if I'm watching my feet. But he's saying here, you gotta look up, you gotta look up, you gotta look up, and the lower you get, the higher you need to look. But here's the deal, we are inclined to stare upon our problems. We are inclined, and we are even, oh. somehow there's a natural inclination inside of all of us that we think if we, if we stare at our problems long enough, they might go away. Anyone been paralyzed by this? We never get through our problems by focusing on our trials. We never get through our trials by pouting about. We will get through our trials with biblical lament, though. We will get through our trials through biblical lament, though. It's a biblical concept, a biblical lament. You see, we can get through the forging, we can get through the hardship, we can get through the difficulty when we biblically lament. You know why? Because it will lead to a true and honest praise to God ultimately. Again, the text says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is showing us that the key to every battle is to bless the Lord. The key to every weight is to thrust it upon him. The key to the, the key. The key is for us to understand that you have been reborn for his glory, point one. You have been reborn for his glory. Blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. Peter right now is being forged himself. Not long from now, he is going to be martyred. And the first words out his mouth after saying hello is, blessed be the Lord God. He takes and he takes away. But what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Peter's showing us that the key to every battle is to bless the Lord. The worship, worship is your weapon. Worship is your weapon. Um, may I be so bold and to challenge you 
to sing louder. Who gives a rip what you sound like? Jesus likes the way you sound. He gave me this horrible voice. Because worship is your weapon. Worship is your weapon. And sometimes when we're, when we're in these large spaces, and we feel more secure to sing loudly when we kind of have a smaller space about us. And, but I would say this, like it's actually like the, the praises of God's people that ring out and people are like, who in the world is, what are they doing? And that is like, ugh. it's going to land as a beautiful, as a beautiful medley on the hearts of those whom the Lord is drawing to himself. And it's always going to be a wretched sound to those who aren't. But sing. Sing. Lee, we got to sing. We got to sing loud. We got to sing like we can actually sing. Most of us can't. But that's okay. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I stood behind you. You tell me how I sounded. Ah. No. Lying in church. Worship is our weapon. Worship is our weapon. Worship is our weapon. And lament is worship in the midst of our forging. Over and over and over again, the psalmist said, the psalmist blessed the Lord through the tears. Listen to this, Psalm 27, verse 6. And now my head, now my head, it says in Psalm 27, verse 6. I'll read it for you. And now my head shall be lifted. Sound familiar? Now my head shall be lifted. Now my head shall rise above the trial and look to my God. Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies that are all around me. I will offer in his tent. Listen, the sacrifices with and shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make melody unto the Lord. And so he calls the weary church to get their eyes on Jesus. I just want you to hear today, if you are being forged, you need not come to church with a porcelain smile on your face. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is you need to come and worship your way through the trial. Worship your way through the hardship. Worship your way through this season. Sing your way. But it's not just singing. It's a posture with which we carry ourselves that says this. I'm being forged. That means whatever I'm facing right now is to make me stronger. If it's for my good, it's for his glory. If it's for his glory, it's for my good. And I know right now this, this too, this too, this too shall pass. He calls the weary church to get their eyes on him. The Lord shows us then, verse 3, his ultimate mercy. Listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. This forging is a mercy. This hammering upon the anvil, this heating and this heating and cooling and hammering and twisting and shaping, the hardship that you're facing, this is a mercy. A mercy? A severe mercy, nonetheless. You know why it's a mercy? God's forging is rescuing you for your hollow state. God's forging is rescuing me from my hollow state. It's in, the midst, it's, in the midst of my, it's in the midst of my despairing that I look to the Lord. It's in the midst of the hammering that I have to reach out to him. It's in the midst of the heating that I have to look to him for the cooling. It's in the midst of, it's in the, midst of the hardship. So often, how many times, we, how, how does one come to know Jesus as their Savior unless they come to the end of themselves? How do they come to the end of themselves lest, lest they finally admit that they can't in and of themselves? And so often that is a forging process that causes me to lay down my pride, Lee. And this is, this is the battle that we face as believers. Hey, come unto the Lord and be forged. <laughs> come unto the Lord and be humble. 
Come unto the Lord and admit you can't do anything of your own. That is so antithetical to the world in which we live in today. You're going to be forged if that's your message. But if you actually want to build a church, that's got to be your message. You see how it's an upside-down kingdom? You see how it has to be God's work? But I'm telling you right now, you carry yourself with that kind of boldness, that kind of welcomedness to God's working in your life, it will stand in distinction to the world, and those whom God is drawing will know where to find him here. They'll look for the one who lives differently. They'll look to the one who carries himself differently because you're being forged to the glory of God. You've been reborn for his glory. He has mercifully rescued you, rescued me from my hollow state. The Lord, when we were straw-filled, dead in our sin, the Lord caused us, look at this, to be born again. You have been born again. I don't know if you heard me, but you have been born again. That actually, I'm gonna, is it okay? Can I, can I? Uh, you've been born again. That merits applause. All right? I don't know if you heard this. You've been born again. you got to clap your hands. You've been born again. And they're saying in the other room, why are these crazy people clapping their hands in church? I'll tell you, because they've been born again. I don't know if it's probably some janitor. They're going, what is wrong with that dude? <laughs> We're clapping our hands because we've been born again. Listen, no matter how life gets, how hard life gets, no matter what comes your way, no matter how difficult it is week to week, it's never going to get worse than it was before. Because you were dead. You were spiritually dead before. You were lost in the trespasses of your sins. Are you kidding me? On this side of, on this side of salvation? What do we have to squabble about? The worst thing that happens to us is we get to heaven. The worst thing that comes your way. I'll leave here and my plane doesn't make it home. Heaven. We suffer in between, and I know it's awful, but listen, the greater our enduring, the greater your witness. Are we willing? We love. You see, Mission Church loves the idea of multiplying churches to the glory of God around the world. I just don't know that we fully grasp what it's going to cost us. I just don't know that we do. Or what it's going to cost the people in the locations where those churches are being planted. So we're on the forged, just praying with all of our hearts that our people will begin to grasp that it's going to cost us something. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But God, being rich in mercy, made his made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you and I have been saved. We've been raised up with him or seated with him now in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in him in the coming ages, we listen, we might show that we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. That's glory. That we would show his glory and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Friends, here it is. Do you see it? You and I, we've, made alive, we've been made alive, born again to show and to demonstrate his glory to a watching world. And worship is the natural overflow of this new life. Why? Because we are literally, we are literally born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 4 says this, we were buried with him, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the, hear this, by the glory of the Father, we too might now walk in the glorious newness of life. 
You see, we have this glorious hope in the midst of our forging that Jesus, we've died with him in his suffering, and now we've been raised to a newness of life, and he is now our living hope. Have you heard? You have a hope. You have a hope. It's not a thing. You have a hope. It's not a feeling. You have a hope. It's a person. Hope is not a destination to be achieved. Hope is a person to be met. Do you know his name? Can you say his name? I say his name with me. Who's your, who's your hope? Jesus. One more time. Who's your hope? Jesus. I just love getting the church to say the name of Jesus as often as they can in a church service. Anybody with me? If you come, if you come to the Mission Church and you sit through a sermon, a, a few times you're going to say the name of Jesus somewhere along. Sometimes my ears have to tell me what my heart believes. Sometimes my, my mouth has to remind my ears what my heart believes. Sometimes you have to hear, you have to hear with your own ears what you claim to believe in your heart. And it's Jesus. You've got to say and confess the name of Jesus over it all. He's our hope. He's the source of our hope. He's the object of our hope. He's the assurance of our hope. He indeed is our living hope. Now look, because Jesus rose from the dead, we have an assurance we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we have an inheritance. We have this assurance of we ourselves are going to be resurrected. No matter what comes your way, you're going to be forged. No problem. You're going to get raised from the dead. We have an internal inheritance kept for us in heaven. What is this inheritance? What is this inheritance? Wrong question. Who is our inheritance? It's not what is your inheritance in heaven. It's who is your inheritance in heaven? What awaits us in heaven? Hope. What's hope again? Mm -mm. Who's hope again? Who's hope? Tell me, tell me, who's hope? Jesus. Jesus. So guess what? The hope of heaven is not pearly gates. The hope of heaven is not streets of gold. The hope of heaven is not no more, merely no more pain. The hope of heaven is not, is not, is not, is not uh, harps and clouds and all of, the, all of the temples and all of the deals and, and finding out like what sports fan God is. That's not heaven. Heaven and the hope of heaven, literally, the hope of heaven is our hope. The hope of heaven is our hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. The glorious aspect of heaven is Jesus. Perhaps you've heard that you've heard of the, the pastor by the name of, of, of John Piper. He has this quote. And he asked this question, and I pray by God's grace it's rhetorical, but I do believe it does merit a response inside of all of us. And his question that he posed is this: if you could get to heaven. And it would be all that you ever dreamed. It would be streets of gold, mansions. Your football team always won. Okay, rugby. All the pastimes that you firmly enjoy, all the pleasures, all the grace, all the peace. But Jesus wasn't there. Would you still want to go? I know what the right answer is. We're just not allowed to lie in church. Because if that's true after death, why is it not true of my life? For I live about my days many times incoherent to the presence of the Lord in my life. I go through my trials sometimes. 
I go to the forger. And I'm slow to look up. Anyone? This is our hope. Jesus is our hope. What kind of hope is this? This is our inheritance. Our inheritance is Jesus. That's unbelievable. Our inheritance is the fact that we are going to be in the presence of Jesus, not gold, not pearly gates, Jesus. And notice how, how, how incredible this inheritance is. It is imperishable, it is unfading, and it is undefiled. Check it. Imperishable means it has no expiration date. There is no expiration date to this inheritance that is coming to us. You can't lose it. It is imperishable. It's not going to fade away. God does not have an expiration date on his hope, on his Jesus, on you going to where he is or him coming to where you are. It is undefiled. It is untarnishable. Every sin is forgiven. Check this. You cannot take a sin with you to heaven. Your hope is imperishable. Your hope is undefiled. Every sin has been forgiven. When you see Jesus face to face, your hope, your, your sin is already paid for. It is already gone. Think about how glorious that is going to be. I am going to be able to worship without guilt. I'm going to be able to fall on my face before Jesus with full integrity. Can you imagine this? I think one of the things that hinders us so often in earthly worship is that we're, we, we, we come stained. We come with unconfessed sin and guilt. But what Peter's saying here is this. The forging is literally hammering it away. Jesus has paid for it once for all, but on this side of heaven, we've got to be sanctified. But there's coming a day, and this is our hope. You're going to endure the forging today because there is a hope of a day when you will have no more sin. You'll be before God. You'll be before God the Father at the throne of Jesus Christ. You will bow at his feet, and you will know he is the one who cared. For, he paid for every sin. He will cherish you bowing at his feet undefiled because he will have known his work is what allowed you the, the ability to do so. Think of it. You see, your sin is... Your, your, your inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's also unfading. It won't diminish. The hope will be just as glorious then as it is now. It'll be just as glorious then as it is now. The hope of Jesus never fades. That's what draws us along. Now look at verse 5. This is unbelievable. This inheritance, this inheritance. Um, any of y'all, any y'all, um, um, look at verse 5. Who by God's power, this inheritance, by God's power, uh, you are being guarded. By God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This part blows my mind. Any of y'all been around bodyguards? Anyone ever been around a bodyguard? Anyone? Anyone ever been around security, right? You've been, you've been to the airport, maybe. You've been to the airport and you see these guys and they're, like, they're guarding things. Maybe you go to a bank and there's a guard, right? You go to... Oh, you go to the palace, right? You go where the, where the, where the royalty is, and there's, there's guards, right? And you're not getting in there. I've seen this guy. That one, the one guy, he stands real straight with the big thing. I better stop talking um, <laughs> about that. because I, I Anyway, so it's guards. You know what a guard is? Uh, at our church, we have, we have a security team. And every once in a while, I feel so sheepish because, like, a guy, a guy will, like, tail me, like, as I'm walking around the church. Uh, he'll make sure that, that, you know, nobody... Whatever. And I'm like, I, don't, I feel so pretentious when that happens. But here's the deal. You know what this text says? God the Father is guarding your inheritance. He's standing firm. Guarding your salvation. 
God the Father's guarding my salvation? Like, who am I? Which I became. Who am I that the Father would guard my salvation? Well, you're his child. He's guarding your salvation. Whatever trial comes your way, you have no danger of losing your salvation as a result. You just need to be submissive to the Lord and allow him to do his work. He's guarding you. He's guarding you. He's taking care of you. He's watching over you. Whatever's coming your way, whatever comes to this church, whatever, you don't know what's coming tomorrow. You don't know what's coming next week. You don't know if this building will be available next time you want to meet. You don't know if the next one will be available next time you want to meet. But you know what? God will forward you through all of that process, Lee, and he is doing it for his glory. And the way this family endures whatever hardship comes is going to be evidence that he is at work in this place. Upside down, the church has a horrible theology of suffering. And I feel, even as a weak American... This is a message for my nation and for my state and for my community and for my church and for me. No matter what happens on earth, God has your soul guarded, secure. And that guarding, the salvation is going to be realized when Jesus returns. Keep looking up. When Jesus returns, it'll all be revealed. Keep looking up. Peter says, you're being forged. You're being forged for the glory of God. Worship him. As you're being forged, worship him. Worship's going to see you through. Lament is going to see you through. It's okay. You can grieve in the midst of your trial. No one's asking you not to grieve. No one's asking you not to put on a porcelain smile. But you have the security about you knowing that God is truly at work. And as he is at work in you, point two, he is actually refining you for his glory. You've been reborn for his glory so that you, in the reborn, you are actually given the endurance now to endure that which comes. That is the refinement for his glory, your sanctification. Look at verse 6. All right, here we go. In this, you need the in this, by the way. You need verses 1 through 5 in order to really handle what's coming in verse 6. You need verses 3 through 5. You need to know you've been reborn. You need to know you have an inheritance. You need to know that God's got you. You need it because look at what verse 6 says. In this, in this, in this precious truth that Jesus has you, that God is for you. Listen. Oh, boy. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you, you have been grieved by various trials. That's the forging. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, you may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are being forged. You are enduring trials. Anyone? Anyone have any forging about them now? Anyone facing any trials? I want to give you some hope about your trial. In this one verse, incredible verse, there is like a full theology of trial, which we don't have time for unless you want to serve us lunch later today. So let me, let me, let me just get moving. Some of, you are, some, of you are finding, some of you are finding some of the rest that you missed out on last night, so let me keep moving here. Listen, listen, listen about trials. Trials, listen, trials are temporary. Look at what it says. Trials are temporary. It says, though for a little while. You're going to endure trials. But listen, trials are temporary. My mom, my mom used to say this, uh, this too shall pass. When I would come to my mom crying, she would, anyone, anyone hear this? This, this? this too shall pass. Gerald, that's my name, Jerry, Gerald. They call me Gerald. <laughs> this too shall pass, Gerald. This too shall pass, jury. That's what they would say. This too, this too shall pass. 
And even as I say that, you know what? It feels rather trite to me, doesn't it? Someone is enduring a true trial, a true hardship, a true loss, a true grief that's truly despairing. You know, for us to come in like, hey, just look at Jesus, you know? He's got you. Heaven's coming. I know, but I'm suffering now. What of it? I'm suffering now. What of it? Hear me, hear me. This too shall pass. And I, I understand in this room that there might be some, 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 some kind of some ongoing chronic trial that you may have to endure. I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to be flippant in this. You may have to endure a lifelong trial, but even in this, this is our hope. Even in the lifelong trial, even in the chronic illness, even in that which is terminal in the end, this too shall pass. For even this life in and of itself is but a blip. It is but a vapor, James says in the end. And compared to eternity, even if you have to endure it your entire life, this too shall pass. Because trials are temporary, though for a little while, Peter says. Also this, trials are purposeful. He says, as necessary, as necessary, as necessary. Hear me, nothing is ever for nothing. Nothing that comes into your life is ever for nothing. There's not one aimless event that comes into your life. There is not one meaningless trial. Listen, this is why I believe that God's the one forging me. You know what the alternative is if God's not behind it? Are you telling me just wandering about aimlessly? Fate? Fate is what I have? Randomness? Where's the hope in randomness? Where's the hope in unlucky? My hope isn't in luck. My hope is in a sovereign God who literally, who literally does all things. He is sovereign over all things or he's not. He's sovereign over all things or he's not. He's sovereign of the political affairs of the day or he's not. He's sovereign of the civic movements of today or he's not. He's sovereign over all things and allowing the church to endure every aspect of it, me personally as well. He's either in charge or he isn't. I say he is and I say, God, whatever I'm going through now, I have to know that you are using it. And I know, God, it's only temporary, but praise you, it is purposeful. I, God, I have no idea what the purpose of this is for right now, but I know it's for your glory, and I know it's for my good. Show me the rest. Temporary, purposeful, hard. You've been grieved, though you've been grieved, though you've been grieved. You know what I love here? Peter, what I would call a super apostle, admits the tears. Have I mentioned recently that lament is worship? The church has a really difficult time with lament. And Peter says, through grief. You've been grieved by the trials. We're not masochists in this way. We don't long for it. We don't run toward the trial. We recognize if God's brought it, it's for our good, it's for his glory. He's using it purposefully. It's only for a season. This, is, this too shall pass. It is hard, and we should cry, and we should lament, and we should bear up with one another's burdens, and we should be there for one another. This is the glory of the church. This is the glory of the church. It's that when, when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And this is what the community will see in you as you gather around one another in the, your most difficult times, when you're celebrating with each other in the midst of your joys. This is it. Family, 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 you are a family of family and knit down in the heart of every man, woman, and child is this understanding of family and that's why it's being so twisted in our day. Families bear up with families. Families grieve with families. 
And we remind each other, temporary. We remind each other this is purposeful. God has us. We remind each other that this is hard. But you know where grief comes from? Grief comes from the same place as celebration and joy. You know why you cry when you're grieved? Because you love. You know why you celebrate? Because you love. Next time you're in a place of grieving, I want to remind you. The flow of tears, the depth of your grief is an expression of the depth of your love. For whatever it is. For whomever it was that you may have lost. Temporary, purposeful, hard. They're also varied. Trials are multicolored. Your trial is different than mine. Praise God. You don't have the same trials that I have, praise God. I don't have the same trials that you have, praise God. God only gives me what I can handle. He's going to give you what you can handle. Oh, by the way, uh, that's not theological at all. He's going to give you all the trial you can't handle so that you will look to him. He will give you more than you can endure. Oh, he'll provide a way to escape. You missed that. That's the part we have to go to. He's going to provide a way of escape. Good thing there's an escape because you'd be crushed under it otherwise. He will give you more than you can endure. That's the forging. He will give you more than you can do. That's why you got to look to him. That's why forging is so crucial. God is at work. And what are the trials that come about us? Tribulations, persecutions, temptations. Remember, though, God tempts no man. But he will use even what was meant for evil, God will use for good. What do we do with the evil about us? If God is over everything, what do we do with the evil about us? My word, Pastor, let's deal with all the theological difficulties today. If God is forging us amidst every circumstance, what about, the, what about the evil even among us? God is not the author of sin. However, he is a step ahead of every, he is, he is sovereign over the affairs of everything. Think of the life of Joseph, that which was meant for evil, God meant it for good. You will not be able to outsin the will of God. I would not encourage you to move towards it, though. But even in the midst of the sin around us, it's falling right into the hand of God's providential plan. This is our hope. Temporary, purposeful, hard, varied. Now this, refining. Trials are refining. That's what he says. Trials are refining. Come on, we're moving down to the end of the message now, but we've got to get this right. Trials are refining. Trials reveal the genuineness of your faith. That's what Peter says. Do you actually believe what you say you believe? Do you actually, are you actually moved in the way you say you long to be moved? I love this verse 6. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you're grieved by various trials. So that here, I love the so that. God, tell me why am I enduring this trial? I'll tell you, because on the other side of this trial, you will have a greater assurance of your faith and salvation in me. to show you that you can pass it in him. I think oftentimes we think God sends trials our way. Why? Because because the smackdown's coming. Does God discipline those he loves? 100% yes. 
Indeed, he does discipline those he loves. But even more so in this text, what we see is trials and forging comes our way because God wants us to see just how glorious his security over us really is. Just how incredible God's Christ's work among us truly is. Now, verse 7, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? understand how precious your faith is this blows my mind you know what he does he takes the most valuable thing he could possibly think of in the day and he says you know how valuable your, how valuable your faith is it's nothing like the rubbish of silver or gold silver or gold is rubbish in comparison to how valuable your faith is and it's only through um, it's only through forging that you really come to grips and to grasp In the good times, I kind of run right past my faith. Sometimes, I kind of check in. At the, I love, I love, I love prayer times when I'm going, when I'm doing very well. I kind of run right past my faith sometimes when things are going well, but when things are going poorly, I'm emailing the pastor and I'm texting my small group leader and I'm crying out to the Lord more so than I ever have before. Has your faith ever been tested by fire? Like as it's, as it's expressed here, has your faith ever been tested by fire? I know it's been tested. Has it ever been tested by fire? Has it ever been, have you ever been at the brink? I don't know, Lord. I could never have imagined being in this spot, but here I am. I couldn't imagine the grief. I couldn't imagine the weight. I couldn't imagine this happening to me, but now here I am. Have you ever, have you ever had your faith tested by fire? Fire, like the, the kind of faith where you, the kind of situation where you wake up and you go, I, I, there's no way in and of myself I could ever have imagined being here. And I, Lord, Lord, in this moment, faith is all I have. These moments in life, they are precious and they are few and they make all the other trials and the trivialities of life seem so small when the actual fire trial comes. I've only had a few in my life. Some I can speak of with liberty and some that I probably should not. One of them happened when I was 16 years old. Um, I was born to teenage parents. Uh, my mom was 16, my dad was 18 whenever I was born. And so uh, that came with some unique challenges and <laughs> some blessings as well. Um, but my grandparents who were um, kind of country neighbors, I told you, I was raised in the woods, country neighbors. Um, my grandfather would call me every day and wake me up for school. He'd come to my house and he would drive me to the bus stop and he'd drink his tea or coffee as, I, as he waited for me to get ready for school. And um, He would take me to church every Sunday. So my spiritual my heritage is kind of rooted in my grandfather's just um, desire to see his grandchildren um, find the gospel and uh, be redeemed by the Lord and to live for him. I'm here today because my grandfather called me every day, woke me up for school, and uh, drove me to the bus stop, drove me to church, made sure I was a full of the Lord. I was in the nursery of the church um, by my grandparents. Before I could talk or walk, I was being cared for by the church. And so, um, one particular morning, he called me. I was 16 years old. He called me, and he uh, he pretended that we were late for school. And he said, Jerry, I've overslept. 
you need to get ready for school fast. And so I'm hurrying about the house and I'm running around and, and I'm getting ready for school and I'm doing this whole thing. And I realized, I thought to myself, he, he's never, in, in 16 years, he's never actually been late ever. And so I would look at the clock and I'm like, oh, like, we're fine. So I just, I go, I just, I finally, all the, the anxiety is kind of subsided. I kind of begin to rest and um, get back to my slothfulness of teenage, of being a teenager, getting ready for school. And then I realized as the clock does begin to tick, he doesn't show up. And so finally I look at my dad and my father says, maybe you should go check and make sure everything's okay. And as I kind of come down over the mountainside, over the hill, I come outside of my, my grandfather's garage and I find him laying lifeless outside of his car. 16 years old, I'm rolling my grandfather over and administering CPR. And uh, um, with no success. And here lies the man who introduced me to Jesus. Here lies the man who met with me every day. Here's the man who took me to school and brought me back home again. And, It's a moment I never could have imagined. It's a moment that I felt barely prepared for, but it was a forged moment. It was a moment in my life where I had to decide, did I believe all the things that he was imparting to me? Did I actually embrace the gospel and the Jesus that he spoke of? Was it driving to and from church and the, the conversation that we have from day to day in the car? about Jesus, this Jesus whom he was now in the presence of, did I believe that he was in the presence of Jesus or was he not? Was I going to turn away from the Lord in that moment and ask him and shake my fist and why did you do this to me now and why at 16 and, and now what do I do? How are we going to get to church? I don't have a driver's license. I now have a, a sister and, and two uncles with disabilities and a grandmother who has no license and, I, and we have a church. How are we going to get there? Do I begin to look at God and begin to shake and say, why? What is happening here? Or do you come and realize this is the forging. This is, this is a way in which God prepares me to stand before you today. This is what the Lord is using in the midst of all of our lives. Whatever your fiery trial is, God will use it to form you and to shape you and to prepare you to look other people in the eye. First Corinthians is very clear. God comforts us in the midst of our affliction so that one day we can look others in the eye and comfort them in their despair. You're being forged. You're being forged. And the day will come when you endure a fiery trial and it will be the moment where your faith will be shown more precious than gold. For that was the moment in my life that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was going to serve Jesus for the rest of my days. It wasn't a moment to ask God why. It was a moment to ask the Lord to come. It wasn't a time to push God away. It was a time for him to draw near. You know what else it was? It was a time where the church came around me and wouldn't let me go. And so you look about you. You look about you for the person who's being forged. You look about you and you come near that person. This is your testimony. You look about you and you find a person who's, who's, who's in a low place and you come around and you put your arm with and you sit beside and you pray with and you provide the meals and you provide the rides and the lifts and you do all that you can. Why? Because this is what God has called us to. Because in the end, we are going to rejoice. In the end, we're going to rejoice. Your tears and your lament are going to become shouts of praise. Let us lament our way to this place of praise for we will, we will ultimately point Three, rejoice for his glory. Verse 8, we land the plane on this. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's all going to be glory. But listen, right now, right now, what about the glorious in-between? What about this painful in-between? The glory is coming, but what about the in-between? Listen, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with great joy that is inexpressible. 
In this joy, there's incredible glory because you'll be obtaining the outcome of your faith. Ultimately, what is it? It is the salvation of your souls. Peter says all of this is evidence that you have a saving faith. The way you endure your forging, the way you come around those who are being forged. And saving faith is a faith that glorifies the Lord through our trials. And then look at how he ends this. This this is incredible how he ends this passage. He says, look, 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 look. Just so you understand, I'm not telling you anything new. The saints of old, those in exile in ages past, endured in the same way to give glory to God. Look, look, look. He says, now listen, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace was to be yours. The prophets who prophesied about that grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. They inquired what person or time in the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Look at what he's saying. The prophets foretold of Christ's suffering. The prophets foretold of Christ's coming. The prophets foretold that he would come and do this. The prophets also foretold that he would come, die, be buried and rise again. And I want you to know that this time is now. The prophets foretold of Christ's suffering on our behalf. They assured us that we'd have a living hope through Jesus. They didn't know when Jesus would come, but Peter says, listen, I want to assure you that time has come, and those prophets were speaking about you right now. The prophets in the Old Testament were writing what they wrote for it. Peter crafted this letter to be passed around the churches of Asia Minor, but he wrote it, the Lord wrote it knowing it would be delivered to you today. That's what this text is saying. The Old Testament prophets prophesied for you. Like, I just don't think we get this. Isaiah prophesied for you. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, his tears were for you. Jonah, the one who wanted to avoid Nineveh, you have a Nineveh? Ultimately was brought there for you. This is what he's saying. The prophets of old literally were prophesying of a day, of a time, when the mystery of God would ultimately be revealed. Now look at verse 12. Think about how amazing and mind-blowing this is. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. He's saying that the prophets themselves knew that the things they were writing would have an immediate fulfillment, but an ultimate reality, and it's you. The things, and the things that they wrote about now are still having their full effect. The things that they were writing were not merely for themselves and merely for the immediate context. They were for us. Think about the writing of the prophets. The calls of repentance, the hope of a savior, the promise of redemption of a coming kingdom. You're the kingdom. We are the kingdom. We are what they were writing about. Oh, what a stewardship we have. Even though they were actually enduring physical exile, we spiritual, they had no position, they had no power, they had no political permanence, and that's what Peter says to us. Look at, what, look at what God fulfilled in them. How much more is he going to do through you with the spirit of God inside of you? Be forged. Be forged to his glory. You've been, you've been reborn for his glory. 
You're being forged and refined for his glory. You, all of this is happening in your life. Why? So that you can give glory and praise, glory and praise. And now this, the prophets are still serving us. The prophets are still serving us. That's what the verse says. These prophets are still serving us through who? Through who? Through who? Through your pastor. Through Pastor Lee. The prophets are still speaking through the man of God, the minister of the gospel in your midst. Pray for him. Come around him. Serve with him. Understand that the Lord is, that's what this text is saying. It is still happening among you. The miraculous works of God and the proclamation of his gospel is happening through each of you and primarily and and especially through the work of your pastor. Look, look, look. They've now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Pastor, he's preaching the good news. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the message of the coming Christ, the Messiah. He's preaching how we all must suffer and die, but yet Jesus suffered and died even more so to redeem us. He's preaching that he, that we were chosen by Christ, that we've been changed and cleansed, and that we're being forged. Listen, friends, the Lord chose us. Hollow, stuffed, empty, He saved us that we would be forged. And in this forging, he saved us and has filled us with his glory so that through the cracks of our brokenness, his glory would radiate brightly. But not just here. You know the most miraculous thing about the forging? Is that the angels of heaven long to look at you. The angels of heaven know nothing of you. They know nothing of your state. The angels of heaven know nothing of redemption. The angels know nothing of recovery of brokenness. The angels know nothing of grace, of the grace and the redemptive work of Jesus' provision on the cross. The angels themselves are being tutored by your faithfulness in during the forging. The angels of heaven are learning more, even more so. They're in the presence of a glorious God, and even as they look down upon you, they're learning more about the very character of God and whose presence they are in because they're seeing the redemptive side, the merciful side the gracious side. For the angels have passed who have fallen away. They shall be fallen forever with no chance of being redeemed. But unto you redemption has come. Unto you the Lord has been revealed. Unto you one took on flesh to be, to bear your likeness and your image to go to a cross and to be forged and hammered and pierced and sliced on our behalf. This is the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is so glorious that right now you are literally the object lesson of heaven as you sit here today as you set up these chairs and as you tear them down, as you go into your community and you look and they wonder why you're here, you are the object, the glorious, tutoring object of heaven. You're being forged. Father, I pray this morning that this truth would land upon us in a powerful way. Father, even as we've endured uh, the length of this message, I pray, Lord God, that the truths that were within it, Lord, would land upon us in a way that would transform us. I pray that they would come upon us in a way that would challenge us and encourage us, Lord. Even though we have among us here people from different lands and different nations, Lord, the mission, of, the mission about us is the same. 
But we're here to make disciples. We're here to preach the gospel. We're here to see lives transformed. We're here to give people hope. People who find themselves in the midst of their own forging. Lord God, I pray today that they would find their hope, their glorious ultimate hope in you. I pray, Lord God, that they would hear even as the prophets predicted, as the prophets foretold of the saving saving Messiah who would come. I pray, Lord God, that we would lift our voices and tell everyone who would hear that our Savior, our hope, is here. He has come. And he's offering redemption unto everyone every one of us. Help us to endure. Help us to look to Jesus, our refuge, our Savior, our joy, our inheritance, and our hope. And so, friend, if you're here today and you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're enduring your own forging and you've not been able to do so with a measure of hope, today Jesus offers you his hope. Nothing has happened among us that isn't also common to men. And with every, with every weight, there comes an escape. That eternal hope and that eternal provision, that escape, if you will, is through the work of Jesus. And so now the Lord may not remove your trial entirely, but he will give you the strength to make it through. He'll give you the perspective to give you peace. He'll provide with you just what you need in the moment that you need it. But it all begins with recognizing that he has come and was forged on your behalf. He took your sin upon the tree. So the scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. The issue here now is that the wage of sin is death. Separation from God. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the scripture goes on to say, In our heart, we believe that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life and he died on our behalf. And then with our mouth, we confess that the Lord God rose him from the dead. With the heart, we believe. With the mouth, we confess. And unto us is granted salvation, the hope, the provision, the strength to endure. Eternal life is ours through Jesus Christ. And so right where you are, thank the Lord for this hope if you've already received it. And if you haven't before, tell him you know you're a sinner. Tell him you know the hope of Jesus. You long for him to be your Savior and your Lord. It's a prayer that he answers. It's a prayer that you will feel. It's a hope that you'll receive. And so we thank you, Lord, for being our living hope. May we sing it now unto your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said...